Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. This episode of the Adventure Jogger Podcast brought to you by Jennifer Ridgely, John W. Asberzewski III, Trail Mayor Hates Honeysuckle, Chris Casey, all of our Patreon supporters, and of course, you, the listener. The Adventure Jogger, a podcast about trail and ultra running. Meet fascinating runners from the front, middle, and back of the pack, sharing inspiring and funny stories about life and running. Running should be fun, and so should running podcasts. I'm your host, Ryan Pluckelman, and this is The Adventure Jogger. So Janice, I was looking at numbers. I was crunching some numbers and doing some research on you before Uh I started, you know, this this episode and here's a cool little fact janice and he and, and this is just all the data i could find so your last 50 miler you set a world record in the yes. 75 to 79 age group tunnel hill new world record janice o'grady time of 12 hours and two minutes congratulations on setting a new world record janice that's impressive thank you Here's the more impressive part, Janice. As I was doing research on you, I found the earliest record I can find of you running an ultra goes back to 1990, where I found a result of you, 1990s, be March of 1990, you ran the Malibu Trail 50 miler (laughs) in 11 hours, 43 minutes, and 20 seconds. So... The amazing thing is, in 33 years, Janice, you have only slowed down 19 minutes in a 50-miler. That's impressive. <laughs> well, not exactly. Uh, Malibu is considerably more difficult than <laughs> <laughs> But my first merit, my first ultra was actually, um, I understand you're from Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. My first, um, I've done research too. Ooh. So my first... Uh, ultra was uh ice age in 1987 87 so i couldn't find that result what did you run ice age in 1987 you know i think it was like 1033 you know it was my first ultra i was Mm -hmm. scared to death and um i thought my my husband was already an ultra runner so he talked me into trying this and uh so I didn't know what to expect. I trained really hard for it, but um, you know, like toward the end, I went through that down spell that we all get and mm-hmm. I'm walking along and our old friend, Bill Bedore, who was um, a wonderful ultra runner, he's gone now. 
he caught up to me and he says, why are you walking? We're going downhill. <laughs> he said, it's always easier to run downhill than to walk downhill. He was so right. And I followed that ever since. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. He passes you. He's like, wait a minute. You're not doing this right. And then, yeah. you know, you've been you've been using that piece of advice for the last golly. It's a while. Do the math, everybody. <laughs> 36 years. <laughs> 36 years. That's incredible, Janice. Because, well, you know, you think about, and I've always loved talking to people that got into ultra running before the boom of the, of the like, mid-2000s. You know, about 2010, when things really started to, to steamroll, and then... You've got 2015 where the boom is big, and now here we are where you're you're not going to get into Western states. Everyone just needs to get comfortable with the fact that they will never run Western states, and that's okay. Um, But, you know, so many people of the boom generation, when you ask them, like, hey, how did you get into the world of ultra running? They'll give you a couple of answers. It's, you know, they read Born to Run, or they read Dean Karnazes' book, or they heard, you know, David Goggins screaming on a podcast. But here you are in 1987. How in the heck did your husband, who was ultra running before you, like how did you guys in the mid 80s, how in the heck did you hear about a sport that's obscure now, but even more so back in 1987? You know, I never would have if it wasn't for Tom. My husband is Tom O'Connell, who mm-hmm. is actually pretty fast. He's run sub-17 hours for 100 miles. Yeah. But um, he, we met, and I was, it was 1984. I was training for my first marathon, and he told me, don't do it, don't do it. You're not well enough trained. <laughs> <laughs> wait, 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 wait. But of course, so, being me, I did it anyway and finished. But um, just so, hang on, hang on, Janice. We have to, we have, we can't skip right past that. So, is this in the courting phase when he's like, "You're not in shape to run a marathon"? Oh yeah, very much so. <laughs> So you're not even married at this point. He's trying to impress you. And he thought the way to Janice's heart is to say, no, don't run this marathon. You're not in shape enough. Yeah. And, you know, I've always been kind of a one speed. You know, my sprint speed is the same as my 50 mile pace. (laughs) So, you know, I've I've just never been a great runner, but I can kind of do it forever. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, and so when we met in the summer of 1984, I had already signed up for Twin Cities Marathon in October, and I hadn't been over eight miles yet. (laughs) 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 So, but luckily, I did my one speed and did, um, which was nine minute pace at that time, mm. and I finished in three fifty one, which is nine minute pace. That's nice. <laughs> you can't complain about that. So yeah, and so from there, you know, I thought the whole running fifty miles or a hundred miles was craziness. Yeah. And so I said, okay, you do that. <laughs> and um, but then you know I was hanging around at his races and running with the ultra crowd and we were in minnesota then Mm -hmm. we lived in minneapolis and um 
I, you know, I'm running longer and longer and longer. And I think this is kind of cool. So I signed up for Ice Age. <laughs> That's just and the rest is history. Yeah, but I mean the small community. I mean, you guys must have gone to races all over the country and seen the same people over and over and over again. Oh, it was it was so different than Ryan. Yeah, it was. Um, we went west, and so I mean, Northern California was the heart of ultra running at mm-hmm. that point. You know, with Western states and. Um, all the the mountain races there in the in the headlands and the bay area and so it was we went out there a lot and that's how i ended up in malibu because you had to go you had to go somewhere else to run and so you know in the winter we trained in our neighborhood we lived in a hilly neighborhood hilly (laughs) and um we had a 1.1 mile loop from our house that went up a hill around a circle and back to our house and so we would do that over and over and over again to train for Western states. <laughs> but somehow we had a very successful, small group of ultra runners then in Minneapolis. It was pretty amazing. It is really amazing to think about because, you know, even when I got into the sport in, the, in 2010, you know, I mean, it was hard to find anybody. I mean, you really you could. Did nobody believe you first off and then all of a sudden you, you had a hard time finding people to go run with and you would get more and more as as a sport would gather on but to think about minneapolis in the 80s having an ultra running community when a lot of that stuff was going on in california and in colorado and you know i mean yeah we had jfk over here and, and, and some other races like ice age but you're right it was this really small community of you and a hundred other people across the United States. Oh, there weren't that many. There weren't that many. There were maybe 25. And, but I mean, we had Barney Klecker who had world records for a long, long time. I think they might be gone now. And Janice Klecker, his wife, who was of course a fabulous marathoner. I did not run with them. (laughs) (laughs) But, But you know, every Saturday morning we'd be out there at the ski hills and um during the summer and doing our training and so we always had you know like five or six people going to western states and anytime we went out to run a race in california we'd have a handful of us going and it was it was really good times sounds like so it's like so much fun because you were a part of this community that was so small and nobody would believe what you did and this is before the internet and to have a tight-knit group of people who have this thing that most people don't even know exists had to have just been so much fun it was and then um in um let's see 1991 Mm -hmm. the opportunity came up at my law firm Uh, one of our clients wanted us to open an office in the bay area and we needed a partner to volunteer to go out and open that office. I mean, my hand went up so fast. <laughs> oh my God, it was like fate. And so uh, my husband quit his job. He's always been in sales. And I transferred out to open our new office and we decided to open it in San Jose, which is right there at the south end of the bay. So we were in the Santa Cruz mountains and, and a hop, skip and a jump up to the Marin Headlands and that whole coastal mountain area there on the peninsula. And we already knew a number of people 
from there um, that we'd met at races when we went out. And so we were immediately part of another group when we got there. So we, you know, I think it might have been easier back in the days when the sport was smaller because we all knew each other. Yeah. And it's not like that anymore. No, 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 it's not. And and to think, too, when does is, when is Western States first jump on your radar, Janice? Um, Tom, my husband Tom, started trying to run it in 1980. In 80? Yeah. And he called up Norm Klein and said, um, I heard about this race. Can I enter? It was like two weeks before the race. And so he went out and he was not trained. And so he didn't do it. And he went through some injuries. But finally, um, 1985, when I was in the picture, I went out and crewed for him and he still didn't finish. He dropped out at No Hands Bridge. I was ready to kill him. Five miles to go. <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, we won't go there. But anyway. So then... Hang on. He's the one that told you while you were dating, you shouldn't run a marathon. You're not in shape enough. I think he's yeah. he's earned a little bit of that. Yes. Yes. So um, 1986, he finally finished and not nearly up to his ability. Mm-hmm. But um, I think he was like... Um, 2715 or something like that which Mm -hmm. he later ran under 22 hours but um that was that was the first and so when he did that i thought hmm maybe someday and so um i first signed let's see i first entered the lottery which was pretty easy to get into in 1990 and i did my first attempt in 1990 and didn't finish and learned very quickly I don't do well in heat. <laughs> and so Western States was never my race, but I did finish it in 91, which was like the coolest year they ever had. And it's the only reason I finished. So <laughs> that's, that's so incredible. And I, imagine what it was like. The first year you went with your husband in 1985, that's like a decade into the, into the race existing. It must have been such an interesting atmosphere in 1985 and even in 1990 when you ran it your first time. Oh, you know, it was so small. When Tom did it in 1985, you just drove up to Robinson Flat and parked your car and you were there. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, that ain't the case anymore. No. no. (laughs) Yeah, so it used to be able to drive into... um, uh, into Deadwood and uh, oh, what's the aid station at the top of the hill? Um, Devil's Devil's Thumb. <laughs> yes, Devil's yeah. Thumb, and uh, age is taking its toll. <laughs> yes, so you could drive right into Devil's Thumb. So it was it was quite different in those days. <laughs> Absolutely. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or Zepbound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it must have just been such a wild experience. And it kind of had to have been cool, too, to know that 
the community was much smaller. You knew most people. And this is something you could attain, right? Like Western States was a possibility for you. If you didn't get in in 90, you were going to get in in 91. And if you were the most unlucky person on planet Earth, if you didn't get in in 90 and 91, you were getting in in 92. It just was going to happen. Yeah. And if you didn't get in for two years in a row, you were in automatically the next year. But, um, you know, it was neat because you knew a lot of people, you know, between the crews and the runners, you know, so many of us knew each other and it just, it made it so special. But you also have to remember, there weren't many choices for 100 milers Mm -hmm. back then. Right, right. There's a handful. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, there was the the Grand Slam races and Angeles Crest. Um, And then I'm not sure Vermont was there quite yet, Mm -hmm. but they came in in the early 90s and that helped. But uh, there were not many choices for running 100 miles. Right. You, you didn't have many options. Now it seems like any state, any time of the year, you can find 100. And there's fantastic ones that have sprung up out of nowhere. And there's, you know, to varying degrees of, of quality. But if you want to run 100 miles now, you can do one without you know having to travel to California to do it. It has to be weird when you think about it. When you and your husband... You know, you're doing this weird, strange sport since the 80s. And then to see it gain so much popularity, it must be like, wait a minute, where were all you people 30 years ago? We were, um, when we lived in San Jose, we were in the Quicksilver Running Club, which puts on the Quicksilver races. And um, there was a time our race was getting smaller and we we didn't have young people the smallest age group was 29 and under and um and followed by 30 30 to 39 the the biggest age group at quicksilver in the mid 90s was the 50s really Uh uh-huh and we were afraid the sport was going to die because young people were not doing it and um i mean we really were concerned that you know, this is a flash in the pan. When we're dead, the sport's over. That's the way it was in the mid-90s. And, um, yeah. Wow. It was, uh, mm-hmm. You're thinking, we better enjoy this while we can, because when we're done, the sport is over. Little did you know, <laughs> flash forward to 2023, that's not the case at all. Yeah. And then we directed the race from 99 until 2007. And in the mid 2000s, we started getting, I mean, we were down to like a handful of people in the Quicksilver Running Club. And there had been 200 at one point. Yeah. And so, um, you know, we're thinking this is it. You know, we don't have, we had barely enough people to put on the race. And then in the mid 2000s, we had some young guys that joined up. And they started moving in. And in 2007, some younger ones took over the race and they were bringing in their friends. The race grew and then they added the 100K. And now, which is a Western States qualifier, Mm -hmm. and now it's a huge race that sells out immediately in a lottery. So, I mean, it's been wonderful to see. It's been great. What was the runner, the ultra runner like in the 1980s? (laughs) Well... You know, I was thinking about that today, how different we were. And, um, you know, we weren't, we weren't pretty. <laughs> we, um, 
you didn't have the really cool clothes like you have now. And we didn't have gear. You know, there was no gear. You had like um, people would carry um, the uh, Aunt Jemima syrup bottle as their water bottle. <laughs> With the flip up top. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so then finally, um, handheld bottles were just coming out when I was getting into the sport. And then they started making the fanny packs that you could put the bottles in the back. <laughs> and so it, it got better from there. But, you know, still nobody was making cool running clothes. You know, we wore baggy old running shorts and t-shirts <laughs> and I, I look at the girls now they're all so pretty with those gorgeous bodies and all the skimpy running clothes and I, oh my god <laughs> never looked like that <laughs> and you but think we were all good. we were all kind of dorky and you know we um you know we all had other jobs there was Nobody was a professional ultra runner back then. And, you know, some were more dedicated to it than others. But most of us, it was just one thing in our life among all the other things. And so we could gather at our races on Saturday and enjoy ourselves and then go back to our lives for the rest of the week. Were you kind of misfits in a way? Oh, very much so. Yeah, when I, I directed a race here in Colorado after we, we moved here in 2006 after I retired. And um, I started this race in 2010, the North Fork 50 mile and 50K. And I decided I'm doing this the old school way. And the kids loved it. And so the first year I had like 150 signed up. And after that, um, the Forest Service Limited made it 250. Mm. And so by the third year, it was selling out like immediately. And the kids thought, this is so cool. There's no chip timing. There's somebody sitting there writing down your finish time at the end. <laughs> and, you know, I was always there at the finish and greeting them with hugs. And, and they, the kids just absolutely loved it. And I had like Western States type um, aid stations out there. So it was my my race became really known as the old school race and it was great. So it hasn't gone out of style, but it's kind of been forgotten. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. But don't you think maybe it'd be a, it'd be good for the sport to kind of infuse a little more old school, especially with everything that's going on now with UTMB and Iron Man and all of that, like could maybe the community could use a little a little old school. And they're still out there. They're still there. I mean, I love going to those races, like Little Heartland in Kansas. That's one of my favorite races now. And Lean Horse in South Dakota. And so they're still out. And Tunnel Hill to a certain extent. You know, um, they, they do a lot of things right. They're, they're big enough now that they've got to have chip timing and stuff. But they still have all the people there at the finish line and um, all the people to people and, the, and a race director who answers emails. And so, I mean the the old school races are still out there and those are the ones i still love <laughs> yeah so you, you you threw out a couple of them like who if you could recommend five old school races for everybody to try to get that kind of old school 1980s ultra vibe which five would you pick you know, it's hard for me to say because I don't do the mountain races anymore, mm -hmm. and I'm sure there's still plenty of those. But, you know, now I've gotten so that, um, you know, because of my age and slowness, um, 
I can't do the mountain races and make cutoffs anymore, which breaks my heart because Wasatch was my favorite. And, you know, we, we've still gone out to a crew for our friend Nick Bassett, who is like one of the oldest finishers ever of Wasatch. And he is the oldest finisher of, of Western States. And Wasatch, you know, with John Groban directing, it still has that feel. But it's hard to get into mm-hmm. because of they have to do a lottery and everything. But still, to me, of the mountain hundreds, Wasatch has always been my favorite. And it still does have that old-time feel. But, you know, for me and people who don't want to tackle, you know, gazillion feet of climb in a race, there there's some really good ones. And, I mean, Lean Horse is one of my favorites. And... Um, it's a rail to trail thing mm-hmm. and the but it's beautiful because it goes through the black hills so your climb isn't great but you're there among these beautiful mountains yeah. and it's gorgeous and wonderful race directors great aid stations and it's really it's a very very nice race and they have all sorts of different distances and um, Heartland is, is another one that has become one of my favorites. And it's out in the middle of nowhere in Kansas. Mm-hmm. And um, I did the 100 mile three times there. I went there um, when, I saw, when I realized, you know what, I can't, I can't make the cutoffs in the mountain hundreds anymore. So I went to um, Heartland and I did the 100 there three times. And it's, um, it's not flat. It's it's in the Flint Hills, so it's like short hills, but lots of them. Yeah. And I and it's out in this prairie that is just spectacular, and I love it. And it's um, very very small, and um, you have to stay in some little town that's a half hour away from the smaller town where the race starts <laughs> and finishes. But the people are wonderful, and it's gorgeous, and I love that race. I keep going back there. So those are two of my favorites. And North Fork is still going, although it's not quite the same now as when I was doing it, but it's still a wonderful little race. And I mean, they're everywhere. Every state has them. You know, just look for the one that doesn't have a thousand entrants and doesn't have a big lottery, and it's probably going to be good. <laughs> I almost wish there was a website. You know, they got Ultra Sign Up and, you know, and the, what what they do and there's a couple other ones like like run sign up and that sort of thing i would love a website that was just a directory of of uh races that you still had to send a paper entry form for <laughs> well I, I think those are gone <laughs> thank god oh man directing quicksilver we'd get they'd send the self-addressed stamped envelope to you um and then you'd send them back the entry form in their self-addressed stamped envelope. <laughs> they fill out the entry form and fill out their check and send it back to you. And that's, that was race registration. I'll, I'll take online over that, thank you. Yeah, because you don't have to worry about checks bouncing. Like how uncomfortable is that when someone's check bounces and you're like, hey, uh, welcome to the race. Glad to have you. Uh, I'm gonna need you to go get me some cash or something because that check you sent me bounced. It happened more than once. <laughs> <laughs> what is something, Janice, that the runners of today could take from the runners of the 80s, whether it's training or attitude or something like what's a little old school that the new school needs to have? It's so different um, that the faster people keep getting faster 
and there's so much science involved and um, so much choosing the right gear involved. And for the elite runners, that's absolutely essential and that's why they keep getting faster. But on the other hand, there's this whole new class of runners that really didn't exist back in the 80s and early 90s who, um, they don't take it seriously. I mean, I was never fast, right? but I always wanted to do my best. So I trained and I learned what I needed to do to get successfully through a 50 miler as best as I could. And my, I had my friends that were my competitors and we were definitely competitive. We weren't gonna win, but we could beat each other and love it. I mean, and I think that is missing. Um, you get so many, I mean, this is why I still beat 30 year olds all the time because they don't train. It's like, oh, I'm going to sign up for this 50 mile race and they don't train and they get there and they struggle through and they finish. I did 50 miles, you know, and it's just, you know, it, it's okay, but um, more power to you. But I miss that whole mid pack competitive level that we had back then. Right, like you always knew the front's going to go do what the front's going to do. But there was this middle of the pack, like, listen, I ain't going to win the race, but I'm going to beat your ass. Mm-hmm. A little bit more yeah. little bit more seriousness, maybe a little bit more seriousness and a little bit more competitiveness, a friendly competition amongst ourselves. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah, absolutely. And um, although I'm kind of glad those young people that don't train are there because it gives me somebody to finish ahead of. <laughs> <laughs> that, that has to feel good. For talking about your attitude towards racing and even, you know, back in the day when you, all the middle of the pack was out to take out each other um, in a very friendly way, that has to be fantastic for you at, and I, I'll be honest with you, I thought I wrote the number down wrong when I turned on the video chat and I'm like, surely she's not in the 75 to 79 year old age group. I wrote that down wrong. I thought I was 10 years off. Um, but that still has to feel nice though, Janice, to burn someone down half your age. You gotta be like, you know what? I'm in my late, I'm in my late seventies and I just burned you to ground. You know, I, I don't really think that way. I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm glad they're out there, mm -hmm. and um, it's nice to see other people doing it. And so, I, you know, I'm never, I'm never going to say that. I mean, I'm always glad there are people behind me because my my three goals going into any race are number one to finish, number two not to barf, <laughs> and, <laughs> and number three not to be last. <laughs> to finish, not to barf, and to not be last. Those are three solid yes. goals for anyone really to take into their next race. <laughs> yes, I, I was kind of the barf queen back when I could run faster and I would overdo it. And I I threw up a lot. <laughs> I don't need more, though. I can't go fast enough to make myself barf. So <laughs> you, you were the you were the barf queen of the ultra scene yeah. in the 90s. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. If it, if it was hot outside, I guarantee you I'd be barfing my way through the whole race. <laughs> <laughs> when did you finally, was it, was it just the slowing down or that, that, that um, caused you, know, you to? You know, it, it dawned on me, maybe when I was in my mid-60s, 
hey, I'm not I'm not failing to finish races anymore because of throwing up. And, I, you know, I think it was a matter of um, being more relaxed about it and um, just not being able or willing to push myself like I did when I was younger. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Why all these years? You see so many people get into the sport, they'll hang around for five years and then they'll go do something else. Why have you been in the sport since 1987 and showing no signs of leaving anytime soon? <laughs> no, so far so good. Um, mostly I like being out there on the trails and you know, even if I wasn't racing, um, you know, at least once every week or two, I'd go out and run all day because I just love doing it. Mm -hmm. And of course, I don't run 100% of the time anymore. It's a, a walk run kind of thing that I've gotten used to now. But um, I just love being out there. And um, I especially love going to races where there's actually people that I know, like Tunnel Hill was wonderful. Um, I knew a number of people there and um, it was just fun seeing them. And with the out and back and out and back thing, you know, you'd see them coming back towards you. And it was it was such a refreshing thing to have that because so many times now I'm the only one there. And I'm going to go to across the years um, at the end of the year. Mm -hmm. And there's a bunch of people that I know that are going to be there, which will be fun. So. Uh, seeing the people and just being out there on the trails and um, it's just all good and I I just can't quite believe my luck that I can still do it because so many aren't anymore right yeah you've been able to to stay healthy and be able to do this is there anything that you've learned over the years that has helped contribute to your longevity you know I I think a lot of it is that um, during the heart of my ultra running career, I was practicing law and I just could not put in the miles that so many people were putting in. And so I had to be very judicious in balancing my work life versus my running life. And so I didn't get injured that much. And when I retired in 2006 and we moved to Colorado, I thought, okay, now I'm really going to concentrate <laughs> on running. I, was, I think I was 58 at the time. And, <clears throat> and as soon as I started running more, I started getting injured. And I realized, you know what? I just got to back off. Mm -hmm. And so I found that what works for me um, is running every other day, running long, um, every 10 weeks, every 10 days to two weeks mm -hmm. and cross training and doing a lot of strength um, and stretching kind of stuff on the off days. And so I have managed to stay injury free and I've never had and this has got to be genetics. I've never had knee problems. I've never had a back problem. I've never had a hip problem. And those are the three things that have taken all my friends out of it. Yeah, and I think. But I think Moderation and training mm -hmm. over the years that was forced on me because of my work um, has paid off. Absolutely, because you look at the life that you have. I mean, to think about you know setting that world record, you're able to do the things that you were doing 50 years ago that a lot of people at your age don't even think of doing that. Like I've, I've, my, my parents are, are in your age bracket. Um, and you know, my mom would love nothing more to, but she just can't, 
she couldn't think of running that far and a lot of people can't but to be able to do that and to have that still in your life has to be just so rewarding it is it's great and tom is so supportive tom had a hip replacement in 2011 so my fast husband doesn't run anymore which kind of breaks my heart but um he's been so supportive i mean he was there at tunnel hill meeting me at the aid stations and i mean he is great and he's gonna support me again at uh, across the years so we're, i'm hoping if i can get over this bronchitis i'm hoping that um i can get the 100 mile records there that'd be so, fantastic we'll that'd be real we'll what is the yeah, what is the because i know um, there was just a hundred mile record set in the 80 year old age bracket for the men. What is the world record for women hundred miles in your age bracket? Um, for, for my age bracket, the American record is like 45 hours. <laughs> <laughs> I think you got that. So, yeah. If I, you know, if I can, if I can get healthy again, I got bronchitis, which is driving me crazy. Yeah. But, um, but the, uh, world record is, um, let's see. Thirty-one oh nine. Oh, that's so, I. I put I might, money on you. I might be able to. I mean, if if I'm healthy at across the years with the flat course, I should be able to do that. But I haven't run since Tunnel Hill now because I'm mostly mm. coughing. But um, hopefully, well, I should be able to get the American, and we'll see about the the world. So I'm gonna go put a hundred bucks on you on FanDuel because I, I feel pretty <laughs> confident about your ability to get to get that done so um <laughs> do, do you remind your husband every once in a while about that comment he made do you bring that up about the i shouldn't run marathons every once in a while like when he doesn't do the dishes like he should oh yes i i do remind him and um i think he now realizes i can pretty much do what i put my mind to <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's what it was maybe he was testing you maybe he was like yes. i want to see how strong this woman is if i'm going to continue this courtship i want to see how tough she is so i'm going to tell her to stop doing it and if she does not for me but if she says like whatever i'll do what i want that's the woman yes. for me <laughs> you know it's crazy too i want to talk about your 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 run at tunnel hill because um, that was what an amazing afternoon that was um it's so crazy to think about when your husband ran western states for the first time and he didn't finish back in 1980 the guy who won it nobody cared like nobody nobody cared about his cougar nobody at work thought it was cool like nobody can you imagine being the guy and, and gals who would win Western states when nobody would care, there was nobody sending you interview requests. You didn't get any free T-shirts. You weren't, you know, on TV commercials. I mean, to think about just you win that race on Saturday and on Monday you're back to work and nobody cares. Oh yeah, and Tom, um, my my law partners were. Kind of, they were supportive, and mm -hmm. so they always wanted to know how I was doing. But Tom, he worked in sales in a in a fabrication company, and he did not tell anybody what he was doing because they would have thought he was nuts. So I mean, you know, it was like his little secret, and so that has definitely changed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like, hey, don't you run really far? No, no, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't do that at all. <laughs> have no idea what you're talking about at all yes oh and you know back then there was no internet 
so you didn't know what happened at races until Ultra Running Magazine arrived in the mailbox. Mm-hmm. The black and white paper magazine that listed every single race because after the race, the race director typed out the results and mailed them into Ultra Running yeah. Magazine. That's the only way you knew anything about the sport. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. You have to wait. And it was like, it was like, how, how long did you have to wait before that magazine came out? You, it wasn't like instant. You'd have to wait weeks to find out. Yes. Yeah, it was. So, you know, a lot of things are better now. It's, I mean, having <coughs> ultra sign up there so that, um, you know, you get instant gratification to see what happened at whatever race. It's uh, it's pretty awesome, actually. <laughs> what made you, Janice, decide to go for the world record at Tunnel Hill? Um, I saw that I could. Um, I hadn't really thought much about records, but I started looking at them. Um, in 2022 when Mm -hmm. i went to jackpot to do the um, national championship 100 mile and that's when i realized i mean i was the only one there in the 70 to 74 age group at that point and so i looked to see what if there were any records and well of course that was helen klein my hero helen klein she was like under 24 hours and i mean there was no way i was going to do that but, you know, I could get that championship. And then I, at that time, I looked to see, hey, in two years, I'm going to be 75. And the American record for 75 to 79 was like 18 hours. Yeah. And 18 and a half hours. And there is no world record for 75 to 79 for 50 miles. So you Nobody s- has... You said it. You were the, there was no world record until you said it. Yeah. So, I mean, that seems a little too easy, but um, yeah. So then I became conscious of it. And, you know, I, I thought I hadn't run a 50 miler for a while. And I have to digress a little bit because I live at 8,100 feet in the yeah. mountains now. And it's really hard to train here. And I've, I have lost the ability to sustain flat running mm-hmm. and because I don't have any. And so I've gotten used to walking and running, which is probably a good thing. And we have the North Fork of the South Platte River just south of us here. And that's it's an old railroad bed. So I can do the closest thing to sustained running down there, but it's still 7,000 feet. So um, I had no idea what I could do on a flat course at um, sea level right, almost. Right, So I'm thinking, all right, the, the record's 18 and a half hours. I know I can do that, but I don't want to run like 18, 20 and, <laughs> and have somebody else come along and take it right away. So my goal was 14 hours. And so, yeah, and I thought, you know, if everything goes perfectly, maybe I can get 13. And it just turned out to be it was a cool day. I didn't have my nemesis of heat, and um, it, it, it was. And it's a lovely course, and there were people I knew. I mean, it was just fun. And you know, and my husband Tom has always said this: your fastest and best races are the ones that were the easiest. 
and that's kind of the way this was. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, I, I was, as I was getting close to the end, I'm thinking, oh my God, I could break 12 hours. And I didn't quite do that, but almost, so I'll take it. Uh, yeah, you, I mean, you were within a, you were in two minutes. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a water bottle handoff. That's a, are you skipping yeah. a bathroom break? I mean, that's, you could have yeah. gone under 12 hours, but to crush a, a, an American record, to set a world record that had not been set. So now we've got a world record and to break <laughs> the American record by six hours that just has to, because you're right, you didn't just barely beat it. You absolutely destroyed the record. Yeah, but you know, there's, um, I know there are other women my age, I know them, who run faster than I do. And they've chosen not to be doing 50s and 100s anymore. So, um but I know there's one coming up who's 74. She's going to be 75 in January. She was two minutes on me at so, so we'll see. My record could be very short-lived. Well, enjoy it while you can. Records are meant to be broken. But, but no, I mean, you think about redefining what's possible at your age. And perhaps there's so many people that, you know, see what you did and said, well, wait a minute. If Janice can do this, well, then, then I can as well. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm not known for speed. Mostly patience and persistence. Those are my mottos. <laughs> Those are two good things to be known for, patience and persistence. Yes. Um, what did you think of that young man setting the new world record for the 50-miler, Charlie Lawrence? Charlie. He's from Minnesota, too. Mm-hmm. And um, I heard your interview with him. It was great. <laughs> he, he, he is... I generally don't find cocky people very endearing but he confident. is he was confident yes he's his confidence is so charming like you love him i'm like keep talking kid i love everything you're saying your confidence is so charming in a way and yeah. it was it was it was neat that all of these things happened at Tunnel Hill, right? So Charlie Lawrence sets a new world record. You set a new world record. Wally Hesseltine uh, from, from California set the new world record for 100 milers run by an 80-year-old. I mean, it was, it was a record-breaking day. Yeah, Wally, Wally got the American record, but not the world. Okay. The world is still 24-0055 or something like that. But he got the the American. He beat the time anyway. I'm not sure how the record thing's going. Right. But yeah, it was pretty amazing. I mean, if you're going to do it, um, Tunnel Hill is just an awesome place to do it, you know, with the soft surface and... Um, it's not totally flat, so there's a little variation, which to me is preferable to totally flat. And um, it, it was just, it was a wonderful place to do it. And I only got to see Charlie once, and that was um, when he was coming back from the first turnaround at the south end. And because he finished before I got back to the, <laughs> back to the starting area. So he was done by the time I got back there. <laughs> but when he went by me, I mean, he was smiling and you could just see he knew he was doing it. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool to think about all those records being broken. And, and I'm sure he probably thinks it's great that you set your record as well. Um, he's a little inspired by that because, you know, he does seem to respect the people of the sport and he respects the sport, which I appreciate. Yeah. Have you known Wally for, for a while? Because he's out oh, from... Yes. Yeah, he's from the 
Bay Area too. You know, we lived there from 91 to 2006. So we were there for 15 years. And yet again, we kind of all knew each other. Yeah. <laughs> and Wally's a lawyer too. So am I. So. Oh God, you guys must've, did you guys ever, were you guys ever in court together? No, we had very different kind of practices. Gotcha. So. <laughs> How crazy would that have been to see two Western states buckles on lawyers across the uh, aisle from each other? Yes. <laughs> Small world indeed. Is there is there anything that would make you want to stop? Do you do you see yourself stopping anytime soon? Um if 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 I can't, you know, I'll I probably won't stop as long as I can actually run. Mhm. Um, I might not race if it gets to the point where it's silly for me to race, but, um, you know, I'll always want to be out there on the trail. So, uh, probably not until I can't. So you're going to go until you can't anymore in a sad day. <laughs> that will be for sure. Um, yeah. As I was doing research about you, Janice, I also found someone told me you're quite the beer person. What is talk about your love of beer for a minute? Well, you know, actually, I tend to be more of a wine person, but um, I like I mean, I, I like beer, especially IPAs. Mm-hmm. But um, we my son is a brewer. My son, my little boy is 52 years old. So <laughs> and he um, he's a he's a brewer and um, and a forestry guy. But um, he he got heavily into it and he was lead brewer at a brewer up in northern um, minnesota portage mm-hmm. brewing and um so he got me into it and there's an there's an app called untapped where it has like any beer you can imagine is in there and people go in and rate the beers so i got sucked into that because of my kid and um it made me start wanting to go to breweries and trying different beers and I started learning which hops I like. So I pick beers that have the hops that I like. And um, so, and I love trying different kinds of beer that I haven't tried before. And it's just, it's it's really fun and very, very interesting. And it all tastes very good. <laughs> yeah, well, for sure. What was surprising? Did you, were you able to develop a palate for it? Because so many people wouldn't be able to sense the difference in the hops. Like how long into tasting beer where you like okay i've i've got a palate for this you know it, do, it doesn't take that long i mean as soon as you sit down like if you go into a brewery and order a flight of little little glasses mm-hmm. so you can taste them next to each other and um then you start to get a feel for which ones and then you look at the ingredients because you have the little thing in front of you that tells you what the ingredients are and you start to realize oh yeah mosaic hops i like those and citrus i like citra i like those and so um you start to really get a feel for it and um so i've kind of become kind of sort of ipas It always kind of shocks them when when Tom and I walk into a, a brewery and we sit down at the bar and order a flight and pull out the untapped app and they can see we're rating. It's like they don't see, you know, septuagenarians doing that. <laughs> You're already like, ma'am, are you using the the, the, the the tapped out app? Are you using is that, a, is that your iPhone? What's going on here? <laughs> What to you? Yeah, it's oh, great. It's great. I mean, and I blame it all on my kid. 
<laughs> hey, it's you know it's, it's 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 a cool hobby, and it's it's definitely something that is fun. And if you do it responsibly, you know you you learn some things. For for you, what makes like the perfect beer? If you could describe the perfect beer for Janice. Well, the ones that I have rated five out of five on Untapped have all been um, hazy IPAs. Okay. Very, very citrusy, hazy IPAs. And um, I think the best one I ever had was from Four Noses Brewing in uh, Broomfield, so in Colorado. <laughs> so nice little hazy IPA. there's IPAs. so many now. It's oh, that, absolutely. Yeah. There's so many. What are your thoughts on the sour beers? Have you had those? I have, and I have not developed a taste for them. Um, my son likes them. My daughter-in-law likes them. My husband likes them, but I just, I haven't gone there. <laughs> I'm with you. I wanted to, and I was like, all these people are saying these are so good, and I'm like, I just, I just don't know what you folks are talking about. Yeah. I, I can't stand it. Also this. among my favorites now, it, I have to do it in moderation, though, are the really high alcohol um, stouts. And um, I mean, very boozy and kind of syrupy, mm-hmm. so that they taste kind of sweet on the front, but then a little bitter on the back. And they're oh, I love them. But you know, five ounces—that's the limit for. <laughs> I mean, some of those have like eighteen percent alcohol. Oh, I know. I had a thing where I was trying. There was a hazy IPA that I bought at the store because I wanted to try it, and I didn't look at the alcohol per val for volume. I figured it was four percent, right? So I'm <laughs> drinking like it's four percent when it was nine point eight percent, and I was like, "Am I a lightweight?" Like, why can't I handle, like, four or five beers? And then I looked at the box, and I'm like, oh, well, that's why it's 9.8%. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, you have to be careful. <laughs> <laughs> you can go down some some pretty dangerous roads. Um, what is your favorite cheap beer? Mm, I don't do cheap beer anymore. <laughs> You've given up the cheapies? Yeah. I, I just, um, I, you know, if, if there's nothing else available, I'll drink what they have. But no, it's it's not my thing. I'm so into craft beers now. <laughs> and they're so available now. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're sold in the grocery store. And um, it's some really good ones. So it's, uh, especially in here in Colorado, the really good breweries all can now. So you can you can get the cans. Even even if they're not in the grocery store, if you go to the brewery, you mm-hmm. can get cans of them. And so we always have a refrigerator full. <laughs> I love that now they're doing some pretty amazing non-alcoholic beers. There was a time when you had like Pabst N.A. and Sharps, and they were awful. They tasted just awful. And with the new technology that they have, they actually make non-alcoholic. There's like a there's a one called the, the Athletic Brewing Company. Yes, and that those are decent. Yes, it actually tastes like beer, which is shocking. Yeah. Um, I still, for me, if I have to slum it, if I'm forced to slum it, Pabst Blue Ribbon is where I go if I have to slum it. <laughs> <laughs> that that was me in college in 1966. <laughs> 
But don't tell anybody because I was underage then. <laughs> <laughs> your, your secret is safe with me. I will not okay. tell the cops that Janice was slamming PBRs back back years ago. <laughs> oh my God! I had I had a fake uh, fake birth certificate <laughs> when I was in college. I mean that thing was so bad, and and but you know they you'd walk into the bar with all the other college students and they'd look at it yeah right okay there you go <laughs> you had a fake birth certificate <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> did you did you make it yourself like did you get, did get construction paper one of, my, one of my friends did it in the dorm he had these little forms and they had like a like a fingerprint on it or something that made it look official. But then she just typed in the information and, <laughs> and we all had them. So I can't, you know, they couldn't have believed it for a second when a bunch of us walk up with these birth certificates <laughs> of driver's licenses. You drank on a fake birth certificate. Oh yeah, and it's it said I was 21 when I was 17. So. <laughs> that, that that is awesome. I'm sorry, but that, that that may be my new favorite story ever told on the podcast that you walked around when you were 17 years old with a fake birth certificate that said you were 21. It's like, can I see your license, ma'am? Don't have my license, but what I do have is my birth certificate right yes. here for you to see. See how official it looks? <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, I just happen to have my birth certificate with me. Yes. <laughs> you don't carry that around with you all the time? I've got my birth certificate with me. And so do my friends. And they all look exactly the same. And they all look like they were made in the last month. <laughs> yes. And we were all born in the same town in Iowa. <laughs> The fact that the fact that they didn't realize that yes, all these people had the, the same grown in the same county, and that that certificate didn't age as well. Did you like try to like rumple up the edges and like like put a coffee stain on it so it looked like it was aged? Oh uh, no, I don't think I was that smart. <laughs> that's, that's so funny you bring it up. I used a fake ID when I was seventeen as well and it was from someone i worked with that was older than me who had the same color hair and glasses so he gave me his driver's license and went and got another one and so we'd go out drinking together but i he'd always have to be in the front of the line getting ids checked and i'd be in the back so they wouldn't they wouldn't remember that they just checked the same name in five <laughs> very very clever yeah yes. yeah yeah have you we thought we were so smart? <laughs> you were. I mean, that's seriously fake birth certificates. You were you were operating at a much higher level than I was back in the day. That was <laughs> that was pretty awesome, Janice. Have you tried um, <laughs> one of my favorite beers? I don't know if you've had it. If is, have, have you tried any Wisconsin beers like New Glarus Spotted Cow? Not that one, no. But. Um, we have been to breweries in Wisconsin, but I can't remember where we were. Because there was one, I, 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 there's a beer they make in Wisconsin, they only sell in Wisconsin. They sell it some places now, like in Illinois, but my, my folks still live there, and so they'll always bring it down for me, and I've gotten all my friends kind of hooked on it, and it is, it's called a farmhouse ale, and it's an unfiltered farmhouse ale, so it's very cloudy, 
but it's very crisp and it's very refreshing and it doesn't have any like like because that's the thing with paps blue ribbon it's got a horrible finish and if it starts getting warm it just has a horrible bite at the end when you're like oh god why am i why am i doing this and for whatever reason this one doesn't farmhouse ales can be really good mm-hmm. and they can be really not good but um <laughs> they they i've had some really good farmhouse ales but i don't think i've had any in wisconsin <laughs> <laughs> it's funny though how the trends kind of change though and how everything is ipa right now and lagers have kind of moved to the side and pilsners it pilsners as well like you, there used to be a time when everything was a pilsner and now it's hard to find a, a good pilsner or even a, a dunkel or like but everything is really kind of ipa-ish Oh, the Pilsners are out there. There, there are good ones. And uh, my son is kind of a connoisseur of Pilsners. He he really likes those. And so, um, they're 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 out there. You just have to find them. All right, your favorite beer of all time. Did you, did you brand name and everything as we, as we wrap things up here, Janice? This has been a great conversation. Thank you so much for spending your evening with me. Uh, your favorite beer. If you have to, you can just pick one. What would that be? Probably, but I don't think they make it anymore. Four Noses, um, Orange Velvet. Ooh, that even sounds and good. And I think they have other flavors of velvet now. They went through Orange Velvet and Blueberry Velvet and so forth. But they sometimes they come back with the other ones. But that whole Velvet series from Four Noses is great. Right. But there's also a ton of IPAs from Cerebral Brewing mm-hmm. in Denver that are awesome and I think they distribute around the country now. The Cerebral awesome IPAs. And Ryan, if you ever get here to Colorado, you gotta let me know and we'll go brewery hop. Oh, absolutely. That would be that would be like a dream come true. I will you'll be the first person I call Janice if I'm ever heading out your way in Colorado. And before I let you go, I'm gonna have to ask you this question because my buddy will kill me if I don't. If we're talking beer, my buddy and I found a peach and pepper beer once it, it, yeah and we thought it sounded horrible but it was delicious and that we can't find it anywhere anymore have you had a peach and pepper beer no i haven't you don't remember the brewer god i don't because my parents had it and i can't remember uh, the name all i said was peach and pepper and i said hey can you get some more of that peach and pepper beer and they're like well they don't make it anymore it was a limited run after we get off, I'll see what I can find on Untapped. All right. I appreciate that. Janice, thank you so much for coming on the Adventure Jogger. Oh, it's been fun. Wow, 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 wow.